Well, this time the uh, children can be dismissed. Children kindergarten and younger can go with our Sprout workers. With Megan, let's give our Sprout workers a round of applause as they serve our children today. Um, and if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. And I believe uh, someone may or may not put a Bible in your hand. Um, and if you have a Bible, or if you have an app, turn to Proverbs. If you're new to the Bible, just open up to the middle of the book, and you'll find Psalms probably, and just turn to the right a little bit, and you will find the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. And this is where we've been at for the last number of weeks, and we are continuing through Proverbs this morning. We uh, we have been looking now at various themes that we see in the book. Um, Last week we looked at the theme of laziness. This morning we look at the theme of words. Well, let me just pray and we will dive into Proverbs this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. And God, as we uh, get into Proverbs and as we do just really a, a full scan of the book of Proverbs and pull out this theme of words, we ask that you help us to, uh, to understand how we abuse words in our own lives. Um, and how we uh, can use words, not for death, but for life. But God, most of all, I pray that we see the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and His name is Jesus. Let us find Jesus as our hope this morning. And may He transform our hearts and our thoughts, and thereby transforming our words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, uh, we were beefing with some neighbors, me and my direct neighbor across the street had some problems with the neighbors down the block, a few houses, Uh, some turf wars if you would. There was a certain field and the question was, who owns the field? Now we we all knew that our dads did not own it, but, but we all claimed that our dad owned the field. And then, of course, then, who's allowed to play in the field? And so this led to some, uh, some gangster activity, if you would. Um, it began with words. They were calling us some very mean names. And, uh, and I had an idea. I'd heard, I had heard this phrase probably at school, and I had this idea that we could... We could use this phrase as a weapon against them. And once, once we use this phrase, it will forever put to death all of these mean names that they're calling us. And the phrase was this, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. So we used this phrase against them, and it didn't have the effect that I had hoped, and they started throwing sticks at us. And I was wrong, because the words hurt more than the sticks. Words have power, don't they? Words have power. They have long-lasting effects on our lives for good or for bad. The abused woman 
long after the, she's been out of the relationship and long after the, the wounds on her cheekbone have been healed often, the wounds that were created in her emotions by words have yet to begin to scab over. Long-lasting effects. But what is a word anyway? What is a word? These sounds that we create. We call these sounds vowels and consonants. And when we, when we place these sounds together in certain ways, we attach names to these sounds. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then as we, uh, as we sort of attach these names to these sounds and then attach these sounds with other sounds, we construct bigger sounds and then we attach meaning to these bigger sounds. Alright, so a word is this abstract sound that we have sort of constructed which conveys a concrete reality. Our poet, Edgar Allan Poe, he put it this way, words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of their reality. Words are abstract sounds that convey concrete realities. Well, this is why words are so powerful. And the average human being uses somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 words a day. Now, I know some of you use 20,000 words a day. Others are down around the 4,000 mark. But even 4,000, that's a big number. Five to 10,000 Words a day, which means that we have 5,000 to 10,000 opportunities to influence other people for good or for bad with our words. Now, what's more? Matthew chapter 13, 36 says this, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Does that cause you to shudder? For every empty word that you have spoken, you will give an account. Words matter. Words matter. And for this reason, Proverbs actually spends more time and attention focusing on this theme of, of how we use words than any other topic in the book. For example, chapter 15, verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. So words have the, the power to, to convey knowledge, to help someone's brain get smarter. Chapter 27, verse 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a curse, meaning words have the power to cause somebody to have a bad day, at least a bad start to their day in the way that you greet them loudly in the morning. That is a curse. Chapter 16, verse 13, Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves the person who speaks what is right, meaning words have the power to influence those around you and your leaders and to give you influence among your leaders. Chapter 18, verse 4, The words of a man are deep waters, meaning whether good or bad, words are inexhaustible. And they are very deep. 
We can't fathom their depth. So, words are many, and words have power. Words have power to do what? Well, let's look at the Proverbs, shall we? Say we shall. Thank you. If you haven't found Proverbs yet, now is the time. Chapter 15, verse 1. What do words have the power to do? Words first have a power, have the power to influence and sway emotions. Chapter 15, verse 1 says this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up what? Anger. Now, turn back to Genesis, all right? We did this last week. I want to do it again this week. Turn all the way to the front of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We need to see the origin of the Word. So we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how does God create this world? With His Word. God speaks, and God has such power in His Word that when He speaks, things happen. God creates with His Word, alright? He speaks things into existence, and so He creates the world. And then in verse 26, He creates humans. So God spoke and humans came into existence. And what's more is God, it says in verse 27, creates man in His own image. Well, what does that mean? Well, in part, it means that humans are given this linguistic ability, to, to communicate with words, to have power and influence in, in our words. So words were given to humans so that we might speak with each other, so that we might enjoy fellowship, so we might share love with one another, most importantly, so that we might commune with God, so that we might understand His love for us and with our tongues give praises to God and with our tongues give glory to God as He is holy, 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 and we would sing this song over and over and over and just delight with our language in who God is. But then chapter 3 comes along in Genesis, and we see sin enter into the world as Adam and Eve rebel against God, and they take the fruit. And I want you to see what happens with the words here immediately. There's an immediate shift. In Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 9. Here God calls out, Adam, where where are you? Verse 10, we see now words of shame, words of embarrassment. Verse 11, God says, hey, does this have anything to do with the tree? Verse 12 We see Adam blame his wife, Eve. It was the woman you gave me. Immediately, with the advent of sin, immediately what we see is now uh, the Word being used to communicate shame, to communicate guilt, to communicate embarrassment, and what's more, to point fingers at others, to create contention and divisiveness, and to create anger and problems. And oh, we have seen the outworking of this 
in our world, have we not? Words have the power as sinful creatures to use, uh, to, to sway emotions and to create in another person, as we see here in the Proverbs, anger. Recently, there was a school child who threw a temper tantrum and picked up a $2,000 piece of equipment and threw it across the room and destroyed the piece of equipment. As school volunteers were discussing this problem and trying to understand what's going on in the child's life, one of them said, have you heard the way that his parents speak to him? Well, when we hear that, we all say, oh, I see where the anger comes from. Words have the power to create angry children and angry men and women who are filled with rage. A soft word, on the other hand, has the power to do the opposite. A soft word has the power to to dispel wrath. Now, the Christian life is a life lived in which we understand that all aspects of who we are are placed under the submission and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Meaning, think, think, of, think of all that you are, your money. We are to submit our money to the lordship of Christ, and so never then should we use our money for vainglory. Um, sexuality placed under the lordship of Christ, and so never then should we use sex for selfish pleasure. Our strength, all right? We all have strength and power and various positions and maybe a physical strength that is to be placed under the lordship as a Christian of Jesus Christ, and so never should we use our strength to take advantage of the weak. Well, in the same way, our words... Every one of these 5,000 to 10,000 words that we utter every day are to be placed under the submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So never then should we utter a word that would hurt, that would create rage. We are to be stewards then of our words. Why are there so many angry people in this world? Well, it's because we don't steward our words well. It's because society as a whole has not placed their words or any aspect of their life under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we have a society filled with angry men and women. Too often, it is those who are Uh, closest to us that receive the brunt of these weapons, the sharp edges of our words, and we destroy those we love the most. So, So where do these words come from? I mean, we can all agree, right? We can all agree that there is a word problem in this world and in your own heart and life. Where do these words come from? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 7. Proverbs 15, verse 7. It says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, 
not so the hearts of fools. I want you to look at the nouns in this verse. The lips and the hearts. Alright, so the wise are people, their lips are spreading knowledge. But it jumps, for the fool, it jumps straight to the root of the problem. The hearts of fools. You see, think about it. Our words, these abstract sounds that convey concrete realities, they are, uh, they, are, uh, they are from our thoughts. They are created by our thoughts. And our thoughts come from where? Our hearts. The very essence of our being. And so how then can we ever change our words? How can we change our hearts? Well, here's how. The, through through, through the, the, the abstract sounds conveying the concrete realities of who Jesus Christ is. The Word, Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us. And remember, God's Word, when spoken, has the power to create and to change and to do something. How can our hearts be changed through the Word, becoming flesh and speaking and calling your name? Is Jesus calling you this morning? Is Jesus recreating your heart this morning with His very call? With His Word? Melting the rage. So therefore, the the Bible says that Christians are to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And how do we do that? Through speaking the words of Christ. Now, words have the power all right, to sway emotions, to create very angry people. And this leads us to our second reality in Proverbs, and that is this, words have the power to reveal ungodliness. There in chapter 15, look at verse 26. Though the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, gracious words are pure. So we see the gracious words and of the wise are pure. It reveals godliness. But the, the wicked, on the other hand, have thoughts which are an abomination to the Lord. Now how do we know what the thoughts are of the wicked. What is it that reveals the ungodliness of the wicked? Look at verse 28. It says, The heart of the righteous ponder, they think about how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You see, the, the pouring out of evil things, these vile and bitter words which are as deep as the ocean as they are poured out of the mouth of the wicked, they come out as poison and they reveal the ungodliness of the wicked. They reveal the thought patterns of the ungodly. And therefore, they reveal the heart. This is why churches which are filled with unregenerate members are dens of wolves. I hear horror stories from pastor friends of mine and former pastor friends of mine who have been, in some cases, fired from their churches 
as they simply are just trying to preach the Bible. Because churches are too often filled with the unregenerate and words and members meetings are being poured out as poison. It's vile. It's ugly. It reveals all ungodliness. Now, this is not time for us to justify ourselves. This is not time for us to say, well, the words that I speak don't really reveal the ungodliness of my heart. I have reason for why I said that. I have reason for being so mad at you. This is not time to justify ourselves. If you are in our Sunday school class this morning, I quoted Martin Luther. And Luther said this, he says, when you're feeling the weight of sin, all right, the guilt, you're, the, like the ungodliness of your own heart is being revealed before your eyes, he says, do not flee when God is pointing His spear at you. Do not flee from God when He points His spear at you, but rather, he says, flee to Him with a humble confession of your guilt. And He will forgive you of your sins. And He will draw back His spear from you. The words reveal the ungodliness of our hearts. And as the words reveal our ungodliness, friends, we don't run from Christ, but we run to Christ. We don't do what we want to do in our flesh, what we feel like doing and getting as far away from Jesus as we possibly can get. Oh, to hide ourselves. There is no place to get away from Christ. But rather, the Christian is someone who runs to Him. And in Christ finds forgiveness and finds identity and finds hope and finds love. Your sins are forgiven, Jesus said. There's this man that's, that's a, a, a paralytic lowered next to Christ. And here Christ is teaching. And we see that He speaks the Word of God. And remember, the Word of God has power and the Word of God has power to create and to recreate and power, we see, to forgive sins. And so Jesus then speaks. Your sins are forgiven and things are changed. Hearts are turned around. Well, this leads us to our third reality. And that is this. In the Proverbs we see that words have the power to destroy. Look at chapter 10, verse 8. Chapter 10, verse 8. It says, A babbling fool will come to ruin. I'll just keep going. Chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Chapter 13, verse 3. He opens wide his lips and he comes to ruin. Everybody say ruin. ruin. It's a common word here with the fool and his words. Chapter 18, verse 7. A fool's mouth is his, everybody say it, ruin. Words, they are these symbols of sounds that we string together and they, are, uh, they convey these concrete realities which lead to our destruction. Turn with me to chapter 12, verse 6. 
in chapter 12, verse 6. Follow along as I read this. The word of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The word of the wicked lies in wait for blood. Meaning we are just waiting for that opportunity. The fool is sharpening his words so that when given the right moment, he can use these, op- or use these words to slice up his enemy. He can use these words to stick them in the jugular of his enemy. And so then he's rehearsing in his mind what this conversation is going to look like. Lying in wait for blood. Just waiting. When I served in a different ministry uh, some years ago, there was a man uh, there who made himself my arch nemesis. Uh, he opposed everything that I would do. Everything. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, do anything without some kind of complaint from this, from this fella. And uh, there were these moments, these drives in my car, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from here to there, where I would just spend the entire time preparing what I'm going to say to this man. Rehearsing in my mind this argument. Oh, I would destroy him in the car. I would be screaming at him. And I would be just leveling him. All right, he would be destroyed. He would not be my friend after this conversation. But he would be destroyed, and I would win. I would prove that I am right and that you are wrong. And I would take these words that I've been sharpening and I would stick them in his jugular. Lying in wait for blood. Don't we do this? But the mouth of the upright delivers them. You see the difference? The wise, they're not concerned with winning an argument. The wise are concerned with winning over their enemies. Words have the power to destroy an individual. Well, there's two major ways that we see destroying just played out in Proverbs. Let me give them to you quickly here. The first way is gossip. Words have the power to destroy through gossip. Turn with me to chapter 16, verse 27 and 28. It says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, everybody say whisperer, a whisperer separates close friends. Now that whisperer is the gossiper. All right, what is gossip? Well, it's not just simply telling an untruth about somebody. It's not just simply lying about somebody. That's different. We're going to get to that. This idea of a whisperer conveys something here. A gossiper, a gossiper is a whisperer. They're, they're whispering. Let's hold off on that, and we're going to come back to it. Look at chapter 18. Let me show you what whispering uh, is, is, is like. Chapter 18, verse 8, it says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. 
and they go down into the inner parts of the body. I know something that you don't know about someone else, and I get to tell you. Oh, this is like a delicious morsel. This is like a, a Hershey's kiss, all right? Um, this, this, this is something that we, I mean, it's enticing. I know something. I've got knowledge about somebody else. And you don't know it. And I get to tell you. How many, are you, how many of you are just getting excited right now as we think about this, this opportunity that we have? Yes, high fives around the place. Oh, it's like a delicious morsel. It's enticing. Why? I don't know. I, I was racking my brain last night trying to figure out why is this so enticing? I don't really have a good answer for you. But I have two thoughts on that from the Bible. Why is it enticing and why is that so wicked? Well, here's why. First, whispering or gossiping is, a, is giving a verdict. A verdict is being determined without hearing the innocent party. So the innocent party is placed outside of the courtroom and a verdict is being determined. Secondly, and this is, this is, the, this is what shows, I think, the, the, the wickedness of it. This is what shows the enticement of it. The second reason we enjoy this is this. It's because we, let's just be honest, we already hate the person. And we are, through whispering, we are... We are, we are finding a comrade in our hatred against this person. Words have the power to destroy. And words destroy through gossiping and through whispering. And we see this all around us. In society, we see this on stoops. Whispering as a neighbor walks by. We see this in restaurants over lunches, I was sitting in a restaurant uh, on Charles Street about six, eight months ago or so and was just listening to this conversation take place uh, with three ladies who were, they work in the area some, somewhere and, and it was just full of whispering, talking about people, gossiping, complaining. And one thing I realized and one thing I'm experiencing over and over in my life is that so many in our society have nothing else to talk about. Like if, if it's not gossip, we don't have any relationship. Our relationship is built on the fact that we are whisperers. That's all we do. This is society. But friends, it's not just in restaurants and on stoops, but it, whispering also happens in church parking lots and in nurseries, and in foyers. Whispering. Only to pause the whisper and smile and give a wave as the object of your whisper drives out of the parking lot. Whispering. 
destructive. It destroys the church in Thessalonica. You might remember was a church that was lazy and it led to gossip and it led to divisions and it led to destruction and Paul's writing to them to try to clean up this mess. It destroys churches. I grew up in a church that was destroyed. And during, during this season, I was about eight years old, during this season uh, within the church as things were just falling to pieces, there was a lot of gossip. It was thick. And my brother and I, we started a detective agency. We called it B&J Detective Agency. And this, the, 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 the uh, whole point of starting this detective agency was to sort of get to the bottom of all the gossip. And so my brother, uh, it was an amazing move. Uh, he, he stationed himself underneath the desk in the church office, all right? If you guys didn't grow up in church, you missed out, all right? It is. So he stationed himself under the desk in the church office just as two uh, whisperers came in and closed the door. And I'm like peeking through the window and I can see them talking and I know that my brother is getting every word and I'm going to get a full report if he makes it out, which at the time I wasn't sure if he would. I mean, these were some dangerous days. And it killed our church. It did. It killed our church. It destroyed our church. It was enticing in the moment. It was fun. It was fun for us as children. And it destroyed our church is really by the grace of God. This is why I believe in the perseverance of saints. It's by the grace of God that I'm still a Christian today. Amen. Whispering, gossiping, it just it destroys. Secondly, uh, lying. Lying destroys. Chapter 10, verse 11. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Meaning, the fool, through his language, hides and lies about the danger in his own life or in the person's life that he is friends with. Chapter 14, verse 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but the one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Chapter 25, verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club, is like a sword, is like a sharp arrow. Shall I go on? The sage says, destructive, lying. But it's necessary, right? We need to lie to get by in society. Our society would crumble. Have you ever seen the movie Liar, Liar? proof. Jim Carrey, he's an attorney. As soon as he has this curse put on him where he has to tell the truth all the time, his whole practice falls apart. His life crumbles. Would society crumble if there was a curse put on the entire world and we couldn't... It's funny to even call it a curse. But we couldn't tell a lie. We had to tell the truth. All the time. Would society crumble? Our marriage, how many marriages are built on lies? How many governments are built on lies? How many businesses are built on lies? Would society crumble if we all told the truth? Well, this is what we believe. We believe that we have to lie to get by. But the Bible says, trust not in your own understanding. Trust not in your own understanding, but trust in God. Lying is a hundred times more destructive than telling the truth ever is. 
if you're not a Christian and you have a temptation to lie, I'm not assuming that you do, but you have a temptation toward lying, let me propose this as a plausible reason. When the highest being in our life, when the highest being that we want to please is fellow man, and there is no other higher being other than fellow man to please, then temptation, the temptation to lie is great. But for those of you who consider yourselves to be followers of Christ and we believe that God is God and He knows all things and He alone is worthy of our praise and our worship and our glory and so we no longer have to fear man because we can now fear God alone and respect God alone and we don't care what man thinks because we just are so concerned with what God thinks. Well, now we are freed from the need to lie because the greatest being whom we want to please is no longer man, but is God. And God knows everything. And so lying isn't going to help anything. It's just going to make things worse. And so we are freed from the need to lie and we can freely be truth tellers. But friends, lying is destructive. Words have a destructive force. We can use them to build life and we can use them to destroy in this temporal realm, but also in the eternal. Words have a destructive reality in regards to our eternal realm. Look at chapter 18, verse 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. These words, these sounds which convey concrete realities of the soul, what they convey is that we hate God. What they convey is that we do not want to submit ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What they convey is all ungodliness. Matthew 13, 36, I'll remind you of it. Jesus said, I tell you, That on that judgment day, you will give an account for every single empty word ever spoken. Have you ever spoken an empty word? Have you ever used one word to hurt someone? Have you ever lied one time? Have you ever enjoyed the sweet morsel of gossip one time? You see, we don't need to speak a thousand empty words to be condemned by our words. But we only need to speak one word. Nothing exposes our sinful nature. Nothing condemns us before a holy God more so than our words. When we consider our words and we consider standing before God and here are the millions and millions of words, of empty words that we have spoken, we have to give an account for every one of them. How can we ever do this? How can we ever stand before God? Nothing causes us to fall on our knees and cry out, save me, help me, Give me new words. 
if anything condemns our society around us, if anything shows that there is none righteous, no, not one, it is our words. And if the church is to display God's glory in society, Lord, help us and give us new words so that we might speak words of life. So how do we speak new words? Well, we'll end with this. Proverbs, remember, is a training manual. It's, that, it means it's very practical. It's helpful. Let me just give you two thoughts from Proverbs. Number one, the wise form their words only for the good of the hearer. The wise form words only for the good of the hearer. Chapter 16, verse 23 and 24 says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips, gracious words like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. The wise are not trying to win arguments, but they're trying to win their enemies. The wise, whether it is in a debate or whether it is in a conversation or whether it's in fellowship or whether it's in just simply imparting information or knowledge, the wise always form their words for the good, for the, for the, for the hearer, not for their own sake. Well, and secondly, the wise form their words through careful thought. If words come from thoughts, then we have to have careful thoughts. Chapter 15, verse 28, it says, The heart of the righteous ponders, thinks about how to answer. Think before you speak. Such a radical concept, isn't it? It's biblical. Think before you speak. Well, the opposite is the fool. Chapter 29, verse 20, it says, The fool is hasty in his words. Chapter 18, verse 2, it says, The fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion, which means that when you're talking to a fool, he takes no pleasure in hearing what, you're having, what you have to say. The fool takes no pleasure in understanding. While you're talking to the fool, he is merely thinking about how to express his own opinion. 5,000 to 10,000 words we speak a day. These words, they come from thoughts that we have. And so then how do we take every thought captive? Well, it's through a change of heart. Christ never uttered one word that was empty. Christ never uttered one lie. He never enjoyed the sweet morsel of whispering. Christ hung on the cross for millions of liars. And He hung on the cross for those who gossiped. He hung on the cross for, for you and for me who have millions of words that stand to condemn us before a just and righteous and holy God. How can we ever stand before God? How can we ever stand before Him with all of our words condemning us? This is how Jesus stood on our behalf and He saved us from our sins. 
And He gives us new hearts. The Holy Spirit at conversion moves into our lives and the Holy Spirit releases us from the power of sin. Which means now that words no longer have mastery over us, but rather we have mastery over our words. How? Because we've been given new hearts. And now we can take every thought captive. And now we can use words of life. Have you ever trusted in Jesus who through His Word forgives sin? Have you ever trusted in Him who looked at the paralytic and said, Son, your sins are forgiven? Have you ever used your words to call on His name, Save me? And all who call upon His name will be saved. Do you hear the voice of God calling you this morning? His Word, His Word has power to wake up the dead. His Word has power to save. Receive His call this morning. Wake up from your slumber and believe on His name and God will recreate your heart. And He will recreate your thoughts. And He will recreate your words. Speak words of life. Let's pray. God, help us to place our words under the submission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to not ever utter an empty word. And God, as we fail, help us to daily be reminded of the cross and fall back into the arms of Christ Wash us in His blood. Remind us of His forgiveness. And from that place of grace, may we move toward being a, a, a people, a community, and an individual who uses our words well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.